morning, church. It's good to see you guys this morning. All right. We are in a series right now titled A Better Way. Because as we learned last week, there is a not good way to live. You guys remember that from last week, those of you that were here last week? Um, and in this series, we're kinda, we kind of got a theme verse. We've got a theme verse that we're kind of following that's kind of guiding our light or guiding us as we move forward and understanding um, how and what this better way is. So uh, our theme verse is Matthew 11, starting in verse 29. And this is Jesus talking to a group of people. Last week, we dove into this and we really unpacked it. So if you missed last week. Lucky for you, we have a fantastic production team that records, edits, and posts the videos both in, on YouTube and online. So can we give it up for the production team? <laughs> Making that stuff available to you guys. So when you are traveling or you're busy, you can go back, you can capture it, you can uh, catch up. So I encourage you to do that. We unpacked this verse last week, and it says this. This is Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We learned last week that the yoke he's talking about is the yoke of the rabbi, which is carrying or uh, being like Jesus, interpreting life like Jesus, understanding life like Jesus. He says, take my yoke. So this thing I'm carrying upon you, set aside the yoke of the world, but instead take my yoke upon you. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as we talked last week, we are going to focus in this series on not just following Jesus, right? We talk about following Jesus here all the time because that was his main invitation to his followers. He would go, and when he called the disciples, he would say, follow me. Leave that life behind and follow me. But following is great. I, would ra- I want to take us just a little bit deeper. I want to take us just a little bit deeper instead of just following, if we claim to be followers of Jesus. Let's see what it looks like in these next few weeks to apprentice under Jesus, which is he's the master. We are learning his way of life. To use his phrase, we are learning from him. We are carrying or taking upon his yoke. What does he say about life? What does he say about the pace of life that we're living? What does he say about how we should live? So we are going to kind of change just a little bit from our vernacular from just following Jesus to we want to apprentice under him. We want to learn directly from him. And the tension we unpacked in this series as we started, and it's a tension that every one of us feel, feel is that we are overwhelmed and overcommitted. That our society and the way we live and the life we live, we are overwhelmed and overcommitted, meaning we live a hurried life constantly. Many of you hurried to get to church this morning, right? And not only did you hurry to get to church, you had to like, in the minivan, you're like telling the kids in the back, stop hitting each other, stop talking to each other, right? Don't even look at your brother, leave him alone, right? And so you feel the tension of living that hurried and rushed life. For many of you, you rushed around all week. You just went from one thing to the next. You had practice on Tuesday. You had practice on Wednesday. You had two practices on Thursday, right? So you were rushing around all week, or your boss finally gave you that new project that you've been dreading that you've already ain't even finished the first project he gave you. But then he gives you another project, and you're like, I'm rushing to get the first one done. I can't even get to the second one yet. And we hear so often in culture that this is just acceptable, that you should live at this breakneck pace that is honestly exhausting us, just flat exhausting us. And the truth is, as we talked last week, that when you're living at that pace 
And at that speed, something happens to your soul because you don't have time to care for your soul. And something inside of you starts to be left behind. Something inside of you begins to get tired and exhausted. And Jesus says that if you come to him, he will give us rest, which all of us hear that and say, I could use some rest. But here's the thing. Jesus never ran. He never ran. As you look through the Gospels, you never see a scenario in which Jesus was in a rush. Like, and, and you think there's times when Jesus should have been in a rush. There's a few different times that we read in the Bible where if it was us, I don't know about y'all, but if my boy Lazarus died and I had, the, I had the ability to heal him, I would not look at my followers and say, it's okay, we'll get there one day, right? Like Jesus is like, we'll get there, but we're going to take a break and eat lunch first. He's like, hold on, did you not hear us, Jesus? He's dying. He goes, yeah, yeah, no, I know, it's okay, it's fine. We'll get there, right? Which kind of, uh, kind of speaks to how the Lord sees the timeline. For us, it's a tiny little window, and it's got to happen right now. It's got to happen right now, but the Lord's not looking at things that way. He's actually looking at the entirety of the timeline because he steps outside of time, and he sees it, and he goes, look, that's just a tiny sliver. We're going to get there. So there's no reason to be rushing around. It's almost a sense in which Jesus knew the entirety of the timeline, and his disciples are all confused. But for us, we, we think that he should be rushing. There's all sorts of different times at which Jesus is, we think, Jesus, you're walking too slow. And I'm sure his disciples thought the same thing. But as we learned, he did life and did ministry at three miles an hour. That's the pace of the average human that's walking, three miles an hour. So what would it look like if we were to take that verse we just read seriously and take that verse where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, if we could learn to live our life at three miles an hour. How different would your life look if you could live your life a little bit slower? Dallas Willard, a pastor, a theologian from Southern Cal University, he's quoted saying this, hurry, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. He says, you must, and I love his phrase here, you must ruthlessly, meaning don't take a break, don't relax on it, go after it all the time, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That if you want to be more in tune with God and you, you know, we exist to love God, love people and make a difference. If you want to get more in tune with God and you want to have a better relationship with him, you want to have a better spiritual life. This guy says, and I firmly agree with him, that being hurried is the number one enemy of that. Because let's be honest, when you're busy, you don't pray. When, when, when you got a lot of things going on and you're stressed out, you don't pray. When you're so busy and you got things all week, like that's when you're going to skip church. That's when you're going to skip small group. That's when you're not going to serve. That's when you're not going to get in your Bible. That's, that's when, you're not, when all the spiritual disciplines as we know them are going to fall to the wayside, not because you don't love God. You love God, absolutely. Not because you don't care about God. You, you care about God, absolutely. But they're going to fall to the wayside because of the pace of the life in which you are living. What if the biggest enemy of life, the biggest enemy of the life you want to live is the pace you're living right now? The biggest enemy of the life you want to live is the pace you're living at right now. 
That as you unpack your day and you unpack your week and you think about it and you go, yeah, you know what? I am running really hard. And yeah, I barely made it here today. Or I barely made it to that practice. And then you think back, you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I just kind of do that all the time. And, and you know what? When I get to the end of the day, I'm, I'm exhausted. And not just physically exhausted. We all physically exhausted, y'all. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you just, you're just physically exhausted, and, and we don't even know why. But there's something inside of us that gets exhausted, too. And Jesus says, that's your soul. And it's tired from the pace at which you're living. Now, as I go forward, i got to be honest with you guys, okay? I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking with you. Because this is me to a T. This is, this is how I function, okay? I am a results-driven person, okay? That's why I like working out. It's very easy for me. Numbers go up. I make progress. I'm satisfied. Dopamine drop. I'm good, right? Numbers go down. I am a loser. I need to add numbers to how my brain thinks. I'm just, I'm results-oriented, okay? And sometimes it's damaging, but it's just how I am. So for me, it's always go faster, do more, work harder, and stay away from that L word. Not loser, lazy. Don't go near that L word. Stay away from that L word. We don't talk about that. Like, right, it can't be near that, right? That's the biggest insult you could call somebody in our family. Like, go ahead. Let Leah's grandfather call you lazy. He doesn't like you. If he, gets, if he gets to lazy, then you ain't making it, homie. Like, it ain't there, right? So then we want to stay away from the L word. So listen, I want you to hear this from my heart and hear it the right way. I am with you. I understand this struggle. I struggle with it, and I wrestle with it all the time. It's so difficult. It's so, so very challenging. But the truth is, we've got to fight with it. We've got to wrestle. We've got to stop it. We've got to prevent it from taking over. Now, let's do an interactive thing real quick. How many people are present right now? Right? How many people have already checked out? You're already thinking about lunch. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Two members of my team did that. I need to preach better. <laughs> I need to preach better. Uh, the, but, I mean, how, come on, seriously, how many of you, just, just a real quick like, thought, how many of you have already had the urge to take out your cell phone? Not to take notes because what Pastor said was so good. You've just had the urge to take out your cell phone and check Instagram, right? So, some, of you, some of you guys got your phone out. You're like, he's talking about me. I'm talking about you. You're taking notes. I'm talking about those other people. The 9 o'clock service, right? But... <laughs> The, the thing is, is that we all recognize that there's times, and I've seen it, and I do it too. I've sat in a, in a message before, listened to a TED Talk online, or watched a football game, and I'm not even paying attention sometimes, and you just distracted, right? You just whip out your phone, or, or you're having a separate conversation, right? And we've tried to really institute this in our house, and it's very, very difficult, but we're working on it, setting our phones aside in the evening. Not only setting our phones aside, I, we're trying really, really hard, but it's because we have so many big personalities in the family to have a few, like, like one or two conversations at a time. How many of y'all know that's hard? Because how can you focus on one person when you have another conversation right here? It drives me bonkers. But it's really, really hard with three boys. And I have ADHD. So like, if it's, I'm going to the next thing, right? Because it's a distraction. And the reason we do that is we want to try to eliminate some of those distractions. And some of us in the room, we're not even, we, we checked out after the first seven minutes, right? I mean, you did seven minutes, you were only here for the music anyway, and then you get here, <laughs> come on, I'm preaching to somebody this morning, you're just here for the music anyway, and you get to this part, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to tell Bible, 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 what's the last song, right? Like some of us, I understand, distractions are all around us, and they pull us away from things 
But distractions can actually harm your soul. Distractions lead to a hurried life because you're constantly being pulled in different directions. In medieval times, there was something called death by distraction. And what they did is they would place the people on a board, like on a big wooden board, and then they would tie their hands and their, or their wrists and their feet to horses. And then everybody would go around and slap the horse to get the horse to run. You can imagine what that did to the human body. And it was called death by distraction, being pulled in multiple directions at the same time. And for many of us, that's how we live our life. We live our life being pulled in so many directions at one time. And it's distraction because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, come on, how many times are you having a conversation with somebody in your family and then this really cool commercial comes on and you think, I need to look at that. What is that all about? And you instantly want to reach for your phone. Or maybe you realize that you uh, could get way more done at work, but you've, you know, you've got your phone out or you're checking your fantasy scores all the time, right? Or maybe, maybe you're checking the, the scores of the game, right? You've got distractions that are pulling you away from things that matter, and they are everywhere. So for our, our definition today, a distraction, just so we're all on the same page as we're thinking about a distraction, our working definition today is distraction is anything anything that prevents you from giving your full attention to what matters. So anything in that moment which prevents you from giving your full attention to what matters. For some of us, it's your cell phone. For some of you, it's thinking about something else. For some of you, it's, it's friends and relationships. It's things that are pulling you away from it. Anything that prevents you from giving your full attention to what matters. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor and wrote a great book that I, I recommend for everybody. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic book, but be ready because it's going to challenge you. So don't read it if you, actually want, if you don't want life change, don't read it, okay? But if you actually want to eliminate hurry in your life, you should read it, but don't if you don't want to. He says this, what you give your attention to, this is so powerful, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Now, some of you, that hit really hard. Because think about it. You've seen people like that before, right? They give all their attention to being the boss, and so that's all they are is the boss at work. But they ain't a good wife. They ain't a good husband. They're not a good mom or a dad. Because all they do is they give all their attention day in and day out all the time to being the boss or the owner or the CEO, you've seen it, and, and, and I struggled with this in the Marine Corps, so I'll just let, let you know. I wanted to be the best Marine that I could. This was just how it was. That was my attention, so I got really good at that, but I wasn't the best husband, and I wasn't the best father when I recognized that my attention had been pulled away from what matters. You've seen people like this, and come on, let's be honest. You know the best moms in your life, right? Your mom or maybe the moms around you or you got friends that are just like, you, you look at them and you're like, wow, how on earth is, is she that good of a mom? Pay attention to what she gives her attention to. Pay attention to what she gives her attention to. You sit back and you see the dad, you're like, how is he that good of a dad? I can't even get the mac and cheese right in the evening. Well, how do we do this? Like, come on, he makes dinner, he doesn't say, pay attention 
to what he gives his attention to. Because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Oh, that person's such a person of faith. They're so connected with God. I don't know how they do that. Pay attention to what they give their attention to. That is what determines and what a person is going to be. Many people say time is your greatest resource. I disagree. I think attention is your greatest resource. Because how many of you can be present but not, not there, right? Some of y'all right now, that's where you guys are. I just said that, and you're like, what do you say, right? <laughs> what time's that game start, right? I feel you. I'm there too. But, but the thing is, is that it pulls our attention away from what matters. Our greatest resource is our attention. And culture does an excellent job of pulling your attention in all sorts of different directions. Isn't that true? But we are actually going to see today that distraction is part of a hurried life. And we see a moment in which Jesus talks about the dangers or the issues with distraction. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. If you have your Bibles, you can use them. Your physical Bibles, your Bibles on your phone. Your, uh, if not, we're going to have the verses here on the screen for you. Here at New Post, we like to say word once we've made it to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. So somebody say word when you're there. Word, the word of the Lord. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, notice they weren't sprinting. On their way. Just on their way, right? As they were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, this is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So if you're thinking, many people believe these are the same, this is the same family, that he's been there, he's interacted with them a few times, uh, and as he's sitting there, or as he arrives there, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Because this was a cultural thing. This was a cultural thing. When somebody was there, you took care of them. You fed them. You cared for them. You got to imagine, it's like a Thanksgiving dinner, okay? Martha is running around preparing everything, and Mary is sitting at the feet of the Lord at a table, learning from him, learning his way, figuring out what he has to say about things. Luke goes on to capture this for us. He says, but Martha running, getting all these things figured out, making sure the stuffing was there and the turkey was there and the cranberry sauce was there. What are my cranberry sauce people? Anybody? Yeah, that's right. Somebody say amen. <laughs> um, the, the, she's running around getting all these things set. She's getting it all set up. And then she's getting it all set up. Luke says, but Martha was distracted, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And again, I understand this. Our family has big Thanksgiving meals. We go to Leah's aunt's house, and she loves to cook, and she's the one that's got, like, all of the different types of things going, like the grill and the oven, and then, you know, her uncle's out there deep-frying a turkey, and the whole family comes, and it's just, it's, it's done up, right? And, I mean, you cannot talk to Aunt Katrina while she's cooking like that because, like, she's busy. She's preparing things. She, she's, she's focused on doing things. In fact, there's been times she's kicked me out of the kitchen because I'm standing there talking. And eating, well, I mean, you didn't have to tell him that. <clears throat> yeah, she, that's right. I'm testing it for safety. I'll be the guinea pig. I test it all. Corn, mashed potatoes, stuffing, turkey, bring it to me. Anyway, 
Um, that's, that's not why you came on Sunday. You're about the pastor's Thanksgiving eating habits. Anyway, the, I say all that to say, like, you, that's the visual here. Big preparation, big meal, lots of things going on. And Jesus is teaching, as Jesus is teaching, he's sitting down, and Mary's on the other side. Mary's just leaning in. Tell me more. Tell me more. Learning from the Lord. Meanwhile, Martha was distracted. Now, what Martha was doing wasn't wrong. It had to be done. Her taking care of the preparations and having the food had to be done. However, maybe that wasn't the best time to do it. The rest of verse 40 shows us this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, talking to Jesus, can you imagine this? Martha goes to Jesus frustrated. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Now, you got to imagine this is like sister, you know, family drama too. So there's that little bit. I think Luke cleaned it up for us. I, I do, because I've got siblings, and I, I, I have siblings, right? I have, I have three brothers who hate each other, and I've seen this. I don't think it was something simple like that. I think it was probably more of, would you, did you see her? She's just not even doing that. I'm running around doing everything, Lord. Tell her, get off her lazy butt and get out here and help me. Because I'm tired of making mashed potatoes for everybody. I'm tired of loading the cranberry sauce myself. I am not doing it anymore, Lord. That's what I think that Martha probably said. You could hear it in her tone. You could hear it in her tone of voice. She's running around like crazy, frustrated, angry. Jesus, come on. You got to stop it and tell her to help me out. Come on. And then you hear Jesus. He says this, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. Come on. You are worried and upset about many things which I imagine she about blew a gasket. You know what I mean? <laughs> you imagine? Say, go ahead. Say, hey, men, say that to your wife next time. She's rushing around. I dare you. Don't do that. I'm not doing more marriage counseling. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Can you imagine saying that to, to, to somebody on Thanksgiving meal? Just going, oh, come on. You're worried about many things. She's like, yeah, of course I am. Jesus says, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Something else has got your attention, Martha, but you really only need to be focused on one thing. Not that these other things don't need to happen. They do. Preparations need to be made. Food needs to be made. The table needs to be set, Martha. You're absolutely right. All those things need to happen. But there's really only one thing that has to happen right now. There's only one thing that calls for your attention right now. He says, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love the fact that Jesus didn't look at her and say, you're wrong, or that's not important, or you shouldn't be wasting your time. Jesus didn't say that. He simply says, she chose better. You didn't choose wrong. She just chose better. She chose to focus on what was most important right 
now. She was not obsessed or taken over by the tyranny of the urgent. You guys have heard that before, where as soon as a text comes in, an email comes in, something urgent happens right then and there, you have to handle it, even though you don't. Let it go to voicemail while you're eating dinner with your family. That problem will be there tomorrow. Ain't no sense in answering that phone. It'll be there tomorrow. And if it's on fire, they'll call a couple times. Don't worry about it. Be focused on what is happening now. Jesus says, in this moment, she focused more on me and my way of life and learning from me. Jesus says, that's the one thing. And she chose, Jesus said, she chose better. She chose better. And see, distraction pulls us away from things that we should be focused on. It pulls us away from things that we should be focused on. She is distracted. That's the words that Luke used. She's distracted and taken away from things that matter. Focus is interesting. Focus focus is like a light. And I couldn't think of a better illustration to do this with. Focus is like a light. This is how I've heard a neuroscientist explain it. How many of you think you're good at multitasking? Show of hands. I can't see them anyway, so you can all raise your hands. It's great. But what, he actually, what they actually taught from this neuroscientist is that focus is like a flashlight. If you're focused over here, you can't focus over there. You think you can. Oh, I'm real good. Really, what you're doing is just going back and forth. You're not focused on what matters. So what ends up happening is you focus on one thing. And in this moment, that's what Mary is doing. She's focused on the cross. She's focused on Jesus. Martha is running around focused on something else. Now, what is other is not unimportant. But you only have one light. You can only focus on one thing at a time. You can only focus on one thing at a time. See, we should be focused on parenting, but instead we're focused on work. Or maybe we should be focused on Jesus, but we're focused on what I'm going to eat for lunch. We should be focused maybe on what it means to run the business while I'm at work, but instead I'm focused on the issues in my marriage. We should just, it's not that these other things aren't important. I should be focused on my husband. I should be focused on my wife. It's not that these other things aren't important. The issue is we think we can keep the light and touch it all, and you can't. If I tried to touch this back wall with this light, I wouldn't get the whole back wall. It's impossible. The same is true for your life. The same is true for your life. Can I share something with you guys? I'll share a story that will help illustrate this good as well. Last year, things were very, very busy for us, and particularly for me, because we had the kids home, and not only did we have the, we have the kids home during the summer, but we were still in the middle of this building project, still had to do the normal stuff. Kids were involved in jujitsu and sports, stuff like that, so it was busy. Um, and I, last year, would get up at like five o'clock to work in the morning to get my work done so that I could be a dad later in the day, except, as you know, work expands to fill the time that you give it, right? And if you don't put guardrails in, I still found myself working all day. And I would just get frustrated with the kids because I didn't have guardrails 
in place. And I would get up in the morning and I would, I would work or early in the morning. And then I would end up working a little bit later and a little bit later and a little bit later to where like the kids would get up around 7.15, 7.30. And I would actually get mad at them if they got up around 6.45. Instead of, instead of you know, kind of shifting my focus, shifting my light to something I could focus on and what was most important which is being a father. Instead of shifting that light and doing that, I would, I would just get frustrated because they were affecting the thing I was doing. They were getting in the way of what I was trying to accomplish. And what ended up happening is I recognized partway through the year that I would get distracted by work when I should have been focused on being a parent in the morning. I would bring my iPad up with me. I would try to do the thing. Some of you guys have done this where you try to do work while you feed the kids. That never works, <laughs> right? But we all think we can do it, every new parent. And if you're not a parent yet, you just heard me say that. And you said, oh, when I have kids, I'll do it. Sure you will. Absolutely you will. You'll be the one that breaks, that breaks the norm, right? But it just didn't work because I was, I was distracted. Not that work wasn't important. I needed to respond to those emails. I needed to write those sermons. I needed to prepare It's not that it was unimportant. It's just I could have chose better. I could have chose better in that moment. And for many of us, we can choose better. So let me ask you this question, and this might get up in your grill and make you uncomfortable, and I hope it does. You're welcome. Thanks for coming today. (laughs) What are you distracted from that you should be focused on? And, And don't just ask it in this context right now. Remember this and ask it the next time you're sitting at the dinner table. Ask it the next time you're sitting at a date with your husband. Ask it the next time your kids ask to read a story to you in the evening and you say no. Ask it the next time you're spending time with your elderly grandfather or your mother and you want to look on your phone or spend time on your phone. Ask it at Thanksgiving. What am I distracted from that I should be focused on? What am I distracted, what am I distracted from? I mean, distractions pulling me away from something. What is it that really that should have my attention? And again, it's not that the other things are bad. It's just you can choose better. And Jesus said, there's better. And anytime this interaction happens, anytime this thing goes back and forth, distraction leads to a disorder of priorities. That's the problem. When you get distracted, it leads to a disorder of priorities. And then before you know it, it's all crazy, right? You just don't know, you don't know what's what in, in the world because you're constantly moving from one thing to the next, one distraction to the next. So, Step one is getting your priorities in order. And I can't tell you how to live your life. I'm not going to tell you. I don't know your nuance. I don't know all the things you're going through. So I can't give you your priority list. You, you've got to figure that out on your own. But I can, I can start you off. <clears throat> I can start you off. And when you get to recentering your priorities, if you get the rest these, these right, the rest of them will fall into place. You can handle it from here. But the first of your priorities, based on the Bible, based on what we believe and what we've seen Jesus do, because remember, we're apprenticing under Jesus in this series. The first thing should be God. 
And you go, oh, Brandon, that's such a church answer. Cross over there. We've got the only place you listen to music and have lyrics on the screen. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. God should be your first priority. The second of your priorities. So God should be first. The second should be your family. God should be first. The second should be your family. And and no, it should not be work. I know you're important at work. Believe me, I know you're super important at work. But that doesn't matter as much as your family. It simply doesn't. It does not matter as much as your family. And when you ask that question, what am I distracted from that I should be focused on? There's times when you recognize, hey, I'm distracted from God when I should be focused on God. I'm distracted from my family when I should be focused on my family. I can choose better. And the third one is this, you decide the rest. That's on you. I did my job. 